This is the Saxo Market Call. Daily insights on what is moving the financial markets. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call. It's Tuesday, 1st of November, 2022. And we have a uh, pretty boring session yesterday. Just a bit of a consolidation retracement there after the big uh, jump the prior day. But overnight, we have uh, more drumbeat uh, in this narrative with uh, RBA only hiking 25 basis points once again. The second time they did so in a row after uh, there was some questioning that they might back, go back to a 50 basis point move because of a very hot uh, CPI data point, but they did not do so and they, they stay cautious. They did raise their inflation forecast, but uh, lowered their GDP forecast. So that message helping out with the general hope that the FOMC will wax slightly dovish in the guidance at least and, and, and showing a downshift here, although we are still, to be fair, are, uh, pinned near the highs for expectations from the FOMC for next year. Not that much but below the 5% area for where they take the Fed funds rate uh, in either March or, or May of next year. Uh, and then overnight, further brightening of sentiment, really hard to, to know how to treat such a story, but uh, there were some circulating rumors or story that there was some reopening committee in China looking at ways to uh, lift the COVID zero COVID policy. It's, it's hard to find sources on that because it's it's rumors. Uh, but I've seen that even the networks were discussing this uh, so called reopening committee. It's and maybe important to keep in mind that if they are to be reopening, and this rumor is true, that the uh, it's uh, aimed at March of next year. So uh, I think hardly something we should be uh, you know pumping the futures on overnight. But that's what happened. We saw Chinese markets up. I just think it's a really interesting mix uh, going into this FOMC meeting. And I think that the FOMC has to be looking at what what risk appetite is doing and almost just has to push back a little bit against it uh, on on Wednesday. What's your take here, Peter, after my absurdly uh, long uh, (laughs) intro there? Uh, That's that's okay. I I agree uh, pushing back on uh, on a stronger market because that eases the financial conditions, as you can also see on on slide three. which right now is around the historical average, um, but considerably tighter than the the period in the you know the seven years or six years leading into the into the pandemic and then the post uh, initial pandemic period. Um, and but I, w- I would I mean the the argument for why the Fed might signal a pause is that you know the nominal GDP growth for Q3 annualized came in at uh, 6.7 there is a slightly downward trend the keep in mind that the, the average prior to the pandemic was around 4% annualized nominal growth um i think that you know if we, if we get a print in in Q4 where suddenly we're at 6% on the nominal GDP then i would think the the fed would be vindicated or confirm that maybe it's a good idea to to pause here let the lagging effects from the monetary policy uh, show its face in the in the macro economy, but I will say, devil's advocate here. I think the inflation dynamics are so complex. I don't really think that we anyone really has a firm grasp on on where the inflation is going. So it's a very fine balance. I know you will probably talk more about the FMC, John, in a in a minute. If we go back to the equities, rumors about this easing of COVID policy in China, also rumors about this common prosperity and what it means. Um, well, I've jokingly said uh, I have been joking about this quite a few times. That it means uh, no profits for for shareholders, and um, apparently also rumors yesterday circulated that um, that regulators have instructed investment banks in China to uh, to cut down on wages uh, in solidarity with the rest of society, etc. So there are you know there I think there's just what we can pull out of China right now is that there's a lot of volatility in the policy making uh, space, and um, I think we'll just have to take uh, one month by month on this and. Before I, I, I end my long spiel and and, uh, and get on with the other stuff, 
I want to point on our uh, equity theme basket because we just turned the page on uh, on October, so we can now see the uh, the performance last month. And uh, I mean, look at that divergence. So you had the defense stocks rallying sixteen percent. This war in Ukraine and the whole geopolitical shape up, uh, uh, shake up is uh, is really benefiting this industry, and the travel segment is doing quite well. I'll talk more about that when we talk about uh, Airbnb reporting earnings later today. Uh, and then you have the um, then you have Chinese equities, especially among the consumer and technology segment, down eighteen percent. Very bad month there, and of course it pulled down the entire emerging markets uh, segment. Must be all the the prosperity um, <clears throat> that's helping those stocks out. Uh, let's have a look uh, briefly at the uh, FX market. Uh, so just overnight, the one story really moving a single currency, and that was the RBA with its twenty five point hike, <clears throat> basis point uh, hike taking the rate 2.85%, these odd increments because of their, their strange starting point. And uh, the, so the funny thing was we have Aussie dollar trading towards the highs here, showing you how much uh, the Aussie and versus the dollar is rooted in, in direction and risk sentiment because you have the uh, uh, Australia versus U.S. two-year spread essentially at an all-time low. I think there was maybe one brief data point back in 1984 or something like that uh, where it was lower. So minus 125 basis points on that spread this is uh, incredible, and yet Aussie dollar are close to local highs here. It shows you that Aussie is definitely going to be paying attention to the commodity story in China and risk sentiment here uh, more than than that spread. But um, uh, certainly if you look elsewhere, the, the impact was a bit more clear, and the Aussie weakness could be felt in something like Aussie Kiwi. Down to new local lows, below the really you know sort of key psychological and actual technical 110 level in Aussie Kiwi. Uh, I suspect we're getting within a percent or so of the lows there. The, the the spread, in terms of the spread, looks fairly priced. I'd be surprised to see the rate spread between Australia and New Zealand stretching uh, much further to the downside against Australia's favor. But of course, if we do get into some specific, uh, more negative stories around China and uh, industrial metal demand, et cetera, uh, the Australian dollar could suffer relatively uh, more there. Elsewhere, I'm really focused in on the CNH here on this story and uh, whether the 720 level holds on dollar CNH. And it's all about really the dollar this week and uh, how we're behaving post FOMC. But uh, Ole, I'm sure in your space, you saw some reaction to that China story overnight in uh, what has been just fibrillating in a range, uh, almost futilely to get a signal here in, in copper, I guess. Indeed. And I, I just highlight copper because it's uh, it more than reversed yesterday's uh, losses uh, of more than two and a half percent at this point. So, uh, But as you said, John, we are... We're stuck in range. You can see that 55-day moving average almost flatlined right now. So um, we we need to see a we need to see a break in order to get excited. But I suppose with the with that with those news, and we just had Codelco as well, uh, warning uh, downgrading its its production for the second time this year, uh, warning about troubles ahead. Other miners uh, and metal uh, traders uh, looking for this uh, increased uh, supply shortages. Um, over the coming years, it just underpins the the longer term prospect for for prices. So we 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 maintain a bullish outlook for copper, and obviously the reopening in China could be a major uh, major event because we know that the activity will be pivoting towards uh, towards the electrification, and that will be underpin prices of some of these uh, um, dependent commodities such as copper. All right. And then on the energy front, uh, it's a bit off off topic here relative to your slides. But curious, is there any anticipation uh, in the forward sort of curve for crude oil prices related to uh, you know a halt to these draws on the U.S. SPR? Not really. Um, the market is just simply the crude oil market is it's just like uh, many other commodities right now, stock in the range. It's, it, we just have so many 
major developments on on either side of the equation, both on supply and demand, that the market is simply not don't really doesn't really know what foot to stand on. Um, we are now into November. The production cuts from OPEC will start to uh, to impact the market. We've got the EU sanctions coming up in December against mm-hmm. Russian oil. Um, the SPR release. How long will that continue for, and what what impact will that have on U.S. Uh, balances when that when that happens? So for now, it, it's it's just a range bound market. But again, again, it's 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 struggling in to see much weaker prices when the when the supply outlook is as 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 uh, uncertain as it is. And just uh, yesterday, we had the OPEC releasing their their yearly outlook and basically calling for or or expecting crude oil demand to rise by, by another 13% to around 110 million barrels uh, over the next 10 years and then stay at that level for the next 10 years. Clearly not what the market is looking for in terms of a future future oil demand. And uh, and my comment on Bloomberg TV yesterday was uh, to that was basically, God help us, is that that turns out to be the case because then we are so way behind in terms of finding the oil that's required for, to meet that kind of demand increase. Not least considering that we need at least 5 million barrels at least a year in new production just to replace uh, uh, or just to maintain st- steady production. And then um, staying on the energy front, just on the gas prices, we're seeing this um, renewed drift lower in, in the in the spot months simply because it, it remains warm. Uh, demand is weak. Gas storage is uh, is continuing to build. As you can see, we are just about the hitting the shoulder uh, on that uh, or the rollover in terms of uh, storage. But that's, that will continue to be extended as long as the temperatures stay as, as relatively high as they are. And, um, and price can price can do some weird things when you get up there because you can't go above that five year average because you're limiting out you're getting to the max of your storage capacity. Yes, gas has to be stored. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't. Uh, or prices has to drop to a level where you are at, uh, incentivizes demand. So um, so it's going to be a, an, an interesting few weeks. But just uh, just highlighting the situation in Germany um, again, we really need to see colder weather to um, to realize how much of this is weather related, how much is down to voluntary and involuntary reductions. But at this moment in time, or in week forty two, which was just uh, the other the other week, gas demand in Germany from household and industry was down fifty two percent on last year and forty one percent on the five year average. So it's it's a phenomenal uh, drop in, in gas demand, which will have an impact this winter. So, but we need to see cold weather before we get a proper feel for for what's going on there just finishing off the uh, the, the the commodity space just to highlighting the uh, report from the world gold council yesterday saying that uh, central banks uh, bought a record 400 tons in q3 that's a bit of a surprise because it's uh, that's really during a quarter where gold to continue to, to, to drop but uh, maybe not a surprise because central banks are trying to diversify their their holdings and uh, it's uh, it also helped to uh, explain why the why the 200-ton outflows in ETFs didn't have as much of a negative impact as maybe someone uh, you could have, have feared. So, um, so the underlying demand in gold is still there. Speculators are sideline. They hold a small short position. We're not really getting exciting until we start to break above uh, at least that downtrend. But probably more important, that's uh, 1735 level. All right. Let's. Uh, one story I, I forgot to mention on the FX slide, and a little bit related to central banks. As you mentioned, with gold holdings, uh, <clears throat> with the end of October, we saw the Ministry of Finance in Japan talking uh, or releasing how much uh, money they were throwing at defending uh, the yen from uh, weakening further. Forty-two billion dollars. Uh, I'm forgetting now the the I think it was six trillion, six point something trillion uh, yen, and uh, they have apparently around ten trillion yen, so about sixty-eight billion further of sort of ready funds to throw uh, at this situation. 
again should the uh, continue to weaken. And of course, uh, actual reserves, etc., are many, many, many multiples beyond that, with over a trillion dollars in reserves. Not that they can use all of that for intervention, but just for some perspective on the status for uh, the Japanese yen. But uh, Peter, over to the equity markets again. We have uh, earnings season roaring on here. Uh, what other stories are you focusing on uh, besides earnings? Yes, yeah, so I think the big story, of course, we can't ignore that, is the Hang Seng futures were up 6% in today's trading. And these unconfirmed news that the Chinese policymakers are considering easing its strict COVID policies. And um, you're seeing the reaction there. I've put in the Hang Seng Tech, uh, tech Index ETF trading in uh, the Hong Kong. Um, it, it, of course, it's an impressive rally from the lows. But I mean, if you look at, <clears throat> if you look at where we were uh, just you know, a little bit more than a year ago, uh, one and a half years ago, we, we were, you know, I think what we ended up being down more than eighty percent in the Chinese technology index. Um, so I I I don't have strong opinions uh, on on China and the direction short term here, except for the fact that you know I think that what you can see is investors are voting uh, by pulling out of the market longer term. I had a story yesterday in one of my equity notes as well, where you know financial trading firms were the best performers uh, last week, and uh, inside that theme basket, the worst performer was the Hong Kong exchanges and clearing company and um, that stock price has been a, on a relentless decline for over a year and i think that is a sign that the, because the growth the growth component for for the hong kong exchange of course is that foreign participation in the chinese equity market and the stock connect but if you suddenly have a leadership shuffle that is you know questioning the long-term viability of profits for the private sector in china which seems to be the assessment by foreign investors and they're pulling out then you a big part of your growth component there as an exchange go uh, goes away um, other stocks to watch today of course uh, british petroleum uh, they're increasing their buyback by additional two billion dollars very strong earnings. They are missing a little bit on the cash flow generation, but uh, um, overall, they have an exceptional result in their gas marketing and trading business. Um, so it's um, it's very, very good days for British Petroleum. It's also lifting sentiment here this morning in European uh, equity futures. And then Toyota, we have to talk about Toyota being uh, the largest uh, car manufacturer in the world. They had a significant miss on the operating margin and their operating income. They said there are two causes for that, uh, material costs and then one-off items. And one-off items, of course, um, if you have them uh, in a sequence uh, for a long time, then obviously they're not one-off. But uh, in this case, I think they are truly one-off. Um, but then, And then also Toyota is lowering their production target the same we got from uh, Volkswagen the other day. Um, there is still a chip shortage out there. It's not something we talk that much about. I think the, the, the sentiment has really, of the focus has shifted away from the car industry and this shortage, but it's still impacting these uh, car makers and then uh, on slide nine in today's slide deck uh, the earnings focus today in the u.s session will going to be amd airbnb and uber and uh, amd is doing quite well very strong revenue growth still plus 30 percent relatively strong against the ps uh, strong product introductions but there is a slowdown in the uh, in the in the earnings earnings are expected to be down five percent and that's because of a uh, pretty uh, immense uh, input cost pressures there and then airbnb also very strong revenue growth expected. They're still riding the tailwind uh, for this uh, reopening and the traveling uh, segment. And as you remember back on slide uh, two on today's uh, theme baskets overview, you could also see that the travel basket did very well last month, was the second best performer. Ex I expecting very strong results for Airbnb and they are becoming extremely profitable at this point in time. I, I think this could really be potentially a, a winner stock. And then Uber fighting 
for their target in 2024 to become uh, self-funded and and really profitable. Um, so we'll see how they manage that. And then I've put in this little slide. I think it's funny where you can see the uh, the orange line was sort of is the estimated earnings per share development in the S&P 500. You can see this tick down. Um, so clearly the aggregate uh, estimates from analysts is way out of whack with the, the reality that is being presented here in, in Q3. All right, cool stuff. Let's uh, look, look at the uh, calendar today. It's heating up a bit today ahead of tomorrow's main event, which, of course, is the FOMC meeting. We've got uh, a jolt survey, and this is unfortunately it's delayed, uh, but it's uh, not not delayed, but it's just a, a tardy release, I would say, relative to where we are in the calendar month. So this is the release for September. It was notable that in the uh, August data, we saw a, a tremendous deceleration in these openings. They'd been at sort of 11 and around 11 and above 11 for many months. July at 11.2 million. That uh, surprised the big drop to 10.05 million in August. A further drop to 9.75 million expected for the September data point. So, you know, this is one of these key indicators, if it's a bit tardy, for how tight the job market is in terms of job openings. Uh, we just have to keep in perspective how much it needs to drop to even suggest remotely that um, this historic tightness in the market is easing because the historic high uh, was around 7.5 million back in late 2018. So we would need another couple and a half million to uh, to get back to even with the historic range. ISM manufacturing expected up today, expected right at 50. I don't think a, uh, it's a huge uh, mover unless we see a really bad miss on the downside. Uh, this, I think the regional surveys were generally pretty tepid, so uh, not looking for a strong number there. And then uh, New Zealand out tonight. So interesting, given that Aussie Kiwi move I, I mentioned, uh, there's a financial stability report coming from the RBNZ and the, their latest quarterly uh, hourly earnings and unemployment uh, data there. Bank of Canada speaker as well. And then tomorrow's main event, the FOMC meeting. And again, where our suspicion is that uh, given the noise level from the likes of the Wall Street Journal, and there's some thoughts even that the New York Times reporter has sort of taken over as the new Fed whisperer, also out with a uh, article suggesting uh, Fed hawkishness, uh, or at least some Fed pushback on the need to keep uh, rates high because of the jobs market being still being very tight. So that's our lean. And I think the market is somewhat poorly prepared for that if that is the lean uh, that they surprise on the hawkish side, especially relative to the drumbeat of, of less uh, hawkish central banks out there. Bank of England and Norris Bank, we'll talk about those in the coming day or so. Uh, they're up on Thursday. Um, yeah, so I think that's a, a wrap for today. I think uh, we're at uh, key inflection points, technically in the S&P 500 and with sentiment and with this FOMC coming up, it's going to be a very interesting test in the days ahead. Stay careful out there and we'll be back tomorrow with the next Saxo Market Call. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com. <laughs>